Yes, that is quite the big sledgehammer we have. Is that one recording? Yeah. Okay. I hit the button. All right. Well, welcome to the OysterCast, everyone. My name is Ron Cowie. And I'm Alex Boudelier. And today we are doing all things technical. We have two cameras. We're doing things outdoors. We have a fire going. We just got a brand new Sony A7S III. And we're going to see what happens when the lights start getting lower. We're shooting an S-Log 2. Yep, on both cameras. So before we go go any further, what is S-Log 2? Because I know it's something, and I know it's kind of cool, but I don't know anything about it. So basically it is a way for the camera to capture light and color and light and dark and interpret it in such a way that gives you more range in post to mess with your colors and bring up the shadows, bring down the highlights and all of that. It takes all of the information. If you had a graph from, you know, one to a hundred, it takes all that information and it scrunches it down maybe between, you know, 40 and 60. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it on the camera, it looks really flat. It looks super desaturated and you actually have to overexpose by about a stop or two in order to get a proper exposure in post and it just our monitors can't interpret it correctly so you have to apply a LUT after the fact. What is a LUT? It is a lookup table which rather than just take your contrast slider in your Lumetri panel or whatever you're using and just bumping it up over to the right it's actually looking at the numerical value of the data in mm-hmm. the image mm-hmm. and it is applying math to that to make it something else. I use LUTs in the sense that, like, it's a look. It gives me yeah. the look of film or yep. whatever. And I don't, that's as far as I go with it. I am a very lazy videographer. Yeah. And if we didn't set picture profiles on these cameras, it would still look pretty good out of the box. Mm-hmm. You know, what you see is what you get. Yeah. And we've been doing that for years and it's been fine. Yeah. What log will give us, and this is just an experiment, will give us a little bit more latitude. So, you know, we were on a shoot just a few months ago in this boutique Italian shop, huge big windows Mm -hmm. in a very dark environment. And then you had the lights on the deli cases and all these other things going on. So there wasn't a whole lot of room to be able to pull up those shadows without affecting the highlights and vice versa. Log will give us a little bit more room so that you can retain a lot of that data. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of the... You don't have to shoot anything that's like HDR because yeah. it has that baked in. It just requires extra work after the fact. Mm-hmm. And we'll have, I guess if you're watching the video, we will have a example of log straight out of the box. We are upgrading our gear. And what's the deciding factor behind all that? Well, there's a few to kind of paint a little bit of a picture as to our gear journey mm-hmm. over the past handful of years when we first started working together we were shooting on the canon 6ds yep with very basic l-series zoom lenses which at the time it was a perfect camera because it shot good stills it shot decent enough video i was really looking forward to what canon was going to come out with next and we could just upgrade to that where that was going to be the 5d mark 4 the 6d mark 2 and when those came out it's very disappointing Mm -hmm. because the video out of both of those cameras kind of sucked it would have been a pretty small upgrade for a huge price point but around the same time the a7s2 came out and for about 
I don't know, $2,000, $2,500 or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. We got amazing low light. We got video autofocus. We got 60 frames per second instead of the 1080p 30 that was coming out of the 60. We actually got 4K. We got 120 frames per second in HD, mm -hmm. which we've never used, but mm -hmm. we have it. And we get in-body image stabilization. Mm -hmm. So those are all things that the Canon couldn't do. Yep. And those things allowed us to shoot in lower light situations, which we do... Yep. More often than not. The video autofocus is great for B-roll sequences. I mean, in-body image stabilization is great. I use a lot of vintage lenses, mm -hmm. so it comes in handy there. And overall, it's just a lot of practical upgrades. Mm -hmm. you know, we ran with that for a long time. And now, with the A7S III, we get better low light because it has dual native ISOs between ISO 100 and 12,800. Mm -hmm. So it even gets better the higher you go to some to some oversimplified extent. It shoots S-Log 3, which is another version of S-Log that we can use. And it shoots 10-bit color in ProRes internally. All that means is that we don't need to use the Atomos, mm -hmm. which the A7S II can't even do 10-bit with the Atomos anyway. But we get ProRes internally, and we get better color without having to use any extra equipment, mm -hmm. which means we can shoot better and faster yep so our whole thing is fast and light mm -hmm. and this camera is kind of the embodiment of that even right now it has no recording limit mm -hmm. and that one does and yep. it has a big appendage on it yep so it's kind of a no-brainer in mm -hmm. that regard one of the big upgrades that should not be forgotten about is the battery life on the a7 to a7s2 is hot oh. garbage oh yeah and it stresses me out on every shoot yeah and the solution to that has always been you know get the big v-mount batteries or the big gold yeah. mount batteries but you know we're gonna spend what two thousand dollars on batteries stupid when we can spend that money on a camera that just works yep so eventually we'll have to get those batteries anyway because you yeah. use them for the mixer we're, yep. we'll get them for the lights but why buy them now yeah when we can get a camera that does it better yeah so to have a camera that actually can match the battery life of any other modern dslr on the market is going to uh, breath no. of fresh air absolutely and our gear journey we have upgraded to match what we do and have been very smart about it the a7s3 is more camera than i know what to do with right now but we were only doing this on the weekends if this was a hobby, but we're doing something every day. And every day we're learning. I mean, that's just what happens. We learn by doing and we get better and better. And it really stinks to have something in your head and have equipment that doesn't allow you to do that. Right. As we've kind of developed our business, one of the things that I see is that we are really good and where we're really happy is in the field, on location, not overly producing something. If you're uh, when in doubt or when left to your own devices, you go out hiking and you need equipment that kind of allows you to to work outdoors without fail mm -hmm. and be comfortable. Wasn't there something where they took these cameras out on Everest? Oh, yeah. So we'll link to it below, but... Sony releases, they've got a bunch of little short films, mini documentaries that they do. 
mostly to feature these this gear. Yeah. And Renan Ozturk, he shot this whole thing with this camera on Everest. It was this whole National Geographic piece. And, you know, they've done that with the A1. They did that with A7S2. Like, every mm-hmm. new camera they come out, they put together these films. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're, they're always in, not always, but they're typically in extreme conditions. Yeah. You know, Everest, they've done like underwater stuff. You know, that was one of the things that excited to me, excited me about switching from Canon as well is you, know, you get all these features in a much smaller form factor. Yeah, it is remarkable how compact and lightweight these cameras are. Well, and I've I've looked into going with something like the Ursa broadcast with the ENG lens on it. Like, is that worth doing because you have everything you need in it you've got Mm -hmm. a single lens that has an absurd range you know something like eight to 120 millimeters with a doubler on it so Mm -hmm. it's and that's also on a sensor this big so it's really like a 24 to Mm -hmm. 400 or something like that it has everything you need in it but light is the last thing that it is yeah you know it is they're heavy they're bulky they are usually you know 18 to 20 inches long total with the battery and everything yeah that's nuts i mean it's not nuts if that's like your workflow right well and those cameras you know it they're built for you to work quickly in the field you know it has Mm -hmm. xlr like full-size xlr it has nd filters it has sdi out you know they're designed to be heavy and shoulder mounted so that they're stable Mm -hmm. and they have the the servo thing on the side so doing like rack focuses are not super smooth what's a rack focus if you had an object close to you and an object far away from you and you wanted to focus between them Mm -hmm. that would be a rack focus so so you see that in movies they're focusing on a chair or something and then it focused to something farther in the background mm-hmm. that would be a rack focus okay so that's a little you have to do that by hand mm-hmm. on some of those big cameras which if you're smooth is fine but yeah it's a little easier with a follow focus or just do it mm-hmm. so pros and cons yep but for the work that we do fast and light i think this is kind of the best option that we could get even the the black magic pocket yeah. 6k pro we looked at yes we did battery life wasn't as good and we'd have to switch lens systems mm-hmm. and give up the ability to do stills. My dad has, is, has a lot of sayings, and one of them is it's good to have options. And having options is a good thing to do. And for people who are making independent films or doing what we do, short spots, you know, all this, and this is a great system. Now, another test that we're doing is we're sitting here while the sun's going down, and we're checking out, we're seeing how the low light looks the color is changing the the exposure is changing i don't think we've changed it too much and so it will be interesting to see what the sun has now gone down the light really hasn't changed too much it's maybe we maybe lost a stop maybe i think this camera is set to be about a stop higher than that one anyway i did some videos last year for st peter's and so an idea what i would do is we'd say and you see some of these on our YouTube channel, I always went about 20 minutes before sunset and I just let the camera go and let the exposure go down and down and down after the sun went down and just to kind of see what it would do. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see how, one, the video just starts to get really muddy because it's making stuff up. I don't think we're going to be here until it gets really dark. And I've photographed these trees 
back here and we could probably I'll send you a, a clip or some stills of it of like out of the camera and then just open the exposure and it is insane it looks like daylight mm -hmm. like the and the color space is fairly accurate and it's not really noisy I don't I don't understand it when I see that when I see stuff like that I'm blown away have you seen Philip Bloom's video on the A7S III? Either of these cameras, actually. No. We'll link that as well. He does a lot of gear reviews. So mm -hmm. when a new camera comes out, he's kind of become known for making really long reviews, mm -hmm. like hours long. And when he, when he got the A7S II, he went out to the beach and just set it up and was recording at 11 o'clock at night mm -hmm. and kept pushing the ISO and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And when I first saw the footage, I had, I thought it was during the day. Wow. Like the light was all off. Like it mm -hmm. was, you know, there was no directional light. It was mm -hmm. just flat and weird, but it, the sand was sand colored. Jeez. And when he did the A7S three and you put them side by side, you can really, you can really see the difference. The, the S three, because it has that second, technically it's unofficial, but a second native ISO of 12,800, it gets much cleaner at that point. Hmm. Like if you shot at any, and you know, the ISO, I don't remember the number, but like right before that, it's going to be noisy. As soon as you hit 12,800, it gets clean again. Huh. And then it reset and, you know, kind of goes back up from there. So this cam, the A7S II did not have that. No. And it was still better than any other camera out there, but that's why the A7S III is that much better because yeah. it, basically start fresh after that point. I'm thinking how much you take for granted. <laughs> like, I, I'm showing my age, but, and not in a bad way, but just, just thinking about this technology and what we're able to do with these smaller, lighter cameras. That, oh, yeah. You know, impossible to do. I remember learning how to shoot slide film and you shoot it at night, and you're, you know, the fastest slide film was 400 ASA, Provia, you know, and Ektachrome and all that stuff. And, and that was, and so you had, and you got amazing saturation and color and zero grain, but you couldn't, you had, that's how you, why you had to really learn how to light and balance stuff. And you'll see mm -hmm. on movie sets, even now, because I think, isn't the, the fastest movie camera, like for cinematic stuff, I was listening to Roger Deakins' podcast, which is an excellent podcast. I think you'd get a kick out of it. And they were talking to another cinematographer, a gaffer. Yeah, a gaffer is a lighting person. And I think the Alexas are 800 ASA. And that's like, wow, that's a lot. That's fast. That sounds right. But on movie sets, like even when it looks like night, you know, on the screen, it's like lit up plain as day because, and back, back in the day, you know, with Technicolor and stuff, they had, you know, the, the lights and the fans and everything that they had. I mean, it was, I think there, there's stories of like when they were doing Wizard of Oz of Judy Garland, like almost passing out on several occasions because it was so hot mm -hmm. on set because of the lights yep. and the fans that the, the cameras had to were working so fast and they were loud. I mean, it was 
what we're doing these days now, silently, you know, is remarkable. You can do this with your phone. Oh, yeah. I really try to make work that allows people to be just audience. So they're not bumping into either my shortcomings as a producer or overly dazzled. My The technique and the equipment should become invisible. And I have one argument against the whole phone thing because I hear that all the time. Yeah. It's like, well, my phone shoots 4K. It's like, yes. But it kind of goes back to that argument of what sacrifices are you making? Yeah. Right? So with your phone... Without extra gear, because I know people have shot films on their phones and whatever. Mm -hmm. Without a whole extra rig and stuff, you have no way of recording audio. There's no form factor that makes it easy to use, because typically the stabilization in the phone is not super reliable. Like, mm -hmm. sure, it's really good for, like, you know, everyday stuff, yeah. but if it goes wonky, there's nothing you can do to change it. Mm -hmm. So you probably want to turn stabilization off. And anytime you adjust your settings, you're touching the phone, which is going to add shake to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of those problems are solved when you yeah. kind of get into this realm. And then it, it you can go too far, right? Yeah. Know, with the Alexa, it's the same way. It's like, okay, you have a limited ISO, so you need to bring more lights. Mm -hmm. So it's finding that balance that gives you all the features that you need or want to help you work faster and yeah. create better work yeah like sure we could shoot everything we do on iphones with you know the interchangeable moment lenses mm -hmm. with you know all the extra dongles that you need to get for microphones and all this other crap mm -hmm. but at the end of the day it's going to slow us down yep we're going to spend more time fooling with it to make it get us what we want and at the end of the day it's probably not going to be this by the end of it no so you know finding the tool for the job that'll help you create better and more work yeah is is more important yeah what's exciting about this day and age is there's such a huge variety there's so many choices out there and it can get overwhelming what i can do sometimes is i can get frozen i can just it's all too much mm-hmm I remember seeing the Annie Leibovitz documentary, and this was when digital was still... No, nah, digital was pretty well established. And before digital, there was, you know, it was like Nikon, Canon, Mamiya, Leica, Hasselblad. And a professional photographer, you usually had... You definitely, for medium format, you had a Hasselblad. Or... A Mamiya, if you're doing a lot of editorial magazine work, you're using an RB67, which is a Mamiya camera. That's that's what Annie Leibovitz used most of the time. Mm -hmm. Like you would see her stuff and she has the RB67, a big brick of a camera that shoots that perfect magazine format, 6x7, or was it 6x9? I think it's 6x7 in any case. But then she was talking about, you know, cameras... Because people can get really sucked into gear, and this is kind of contradicting everything we're saying, or maybe not. And she said, I use now, if there's a camera that does something better, I use that. Yeah. Like, it, because the technology, it's not in the film, it's in the body. Right. So you're buying, like, the thing that carries your 5,000 rolls of film. 
Right. You know, and gives you all the opportunity to to do that. So that's kind of what you're spending the money on. And that's that's a good way to look at it. I, I think the days, like there's this one photographer that I follow who, when I first started following him, he was a Nikon guy. Mm-hmm. Like that's all he was, wouldn't shoot anything else. He would throw shade at every other brand. Yeah. And I've started following him again recently and it kind of took a couple of years off. And he had switched to, I want to say it's the Canon R5 mm-hmm. for a while. And now that the Sony A1 is out, he switched to that. Yeah. So he's kind of done the circuit. Mm-hmm. And it's for that same exact reason. It's because the A1 does a better job at being the camera that he needs yeah. than the R5 did or the Nikon D5 did. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. So, you know, tonight... We're going to see what this looks like. I think it's getting nice and dark. The fire is kind of dying down. And I'm not going to lie, it's a little cold. I'm a sissy. But that's all right. I'm not going to cry about it right now. This really was just kind of a technical test. We're, we're outdoors because, you know, it's still safer. Although I did get vaccinated. Very grateful. Nice. Very grateful to be vaccinated. And... So we're going to see what this stuff does. So if you bear with us, you know, recording outside and because we've kind of stepped up our game a little bit and we're outside and we're you we're together instead of working remotely. That was a creative problem that we tried to solve and we we did okay, but there are some issues that, you know, I'm sure we'll still do that. Yeah. For the most part, but Yeah. But it's always good to kind of shake it up. And this will be good for, you know, going forward in the summer when we're going to have guests mm-hmm. and we can kind of be together and you know sitting by the fire yep just keeping it real so well and it's i think it's good to talk about gear and yeah we talk a lot about ideas and creativity and and solving problems in kind of a philosophical sense and i think you know gear is a big part of being a photographer or a filmmaker and you know we talked about how gear kind of doesn't matter, but kind of does matter. Yeah. And, you know, we're we're getting new stuff and wanted to kind of share that with the class mm-hmm. and show that we're also, you know, we're not using $10,000 camera setups because no. you don't need it. No. And no. this is our journey and we're just excited to share it. Yes. You have been listening to the OysterCast. I'm Ron Cowie. And I'm Alex Boudelier. And we're here every week, one way or the other. And next week, I think I have a fun guest. I want to get him. It's really cool. And it's going to be a surprise, but you're going to geek out. All right. So you're going to have to stay tuned, but this should be fun. If you have any questions or you know have any guest requests, then go to our website at theoysterfarm.com slash podcast. And not only can you see or listen to every episode that we've had, but you can leave a comment, question, whatever. Yep. And make sure you leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out. It really does. It helps put my kid through school. And get gets us a second camera. And gets us a second camera, which is actually more important. That's not true. I don't know what's true anymore. What is true? This was a good conversation, Alex. It was. We covered a lot of ground. I feel better about our relationship, too. Indeed. Chapter three. All right. Oh, this one's still fine. It's desaturated, but it's fine. Yeah.